Hey there, today we're talking about linting, and I don't mean the stuff you find in the dryer. We're talking about linting your code today on Cloud Dev Clarity. Hey, Julie. hey there, how are you? Uh, well, I've already I screwed up this. The <laughs> screwed we're up getting the better and better every <laughs> time. Better and better. Practice makes perfect. Hey, uh, this is well. supposed to be loosey goosey. It's informal. Nobody's going to care. Maybe they get to make fun of us. It's all good. We it's, make mistakes too. Well, I've proven that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sweet, well, right? every day of my life I proved that. Episode five, check. Yeah, made a mistake. yeah. check. <laughs> One mistake down. <laughs> uh, all right, I have five check boxes. Anyway, all right, yes, so I got right, right, right. Yes. How are you today? I am excellent. I am excellent. So, linting, big topic, really timely topic. Yeah. Uh, at least let's for us. talk about what it is. Yeah, at least for us. So let's talk, I think, a little bit about what linting is for people, right? Let's start there. I mean, linting in general is this idea of having rules about how your code is structured and how it's written and how it's mm -hmm. formatted and um, to try to drive consistency, right? And mm -hmm. so the history of this, at least for the TypeScript people, I mean, there's linters for all sorts of different code bases, but for the TypeScript crowd, I suppose, um, which is maybe more of our, our target audience, maybe not, mm -hmm. uh, anyway, um, there was TSLint back mm -hmm. in 2019. They deprecated that in favor of ESLint, mm -hmm. uh, mainly as I understand it for performance reasons, and to hopefully improve reliability and supportability. Um, what's your take? So, I mean, the the history of linters actually goes way, way back. Um, right. So it's all about, it goes back to, I think, like the C days, C, yes. C even before yep. C++. And I've used them there. Yep. Yeah. And it was, I guess the the reason we had them, I always find it when you understand the reasoning behind something, it's easier to understand why we have it and stuff. But yep. So the originally we originally were using these because the first the early compilers, when you would run something, when you would run your program through it, it just choke and be like didn't work. Yes, yes. Um, but you had no context, so right. people created linters to look at your code to do static analysis on it to find issues before you ran it to have a better chance of the compiler getting through it. And then, then you right. could you know hopefully the app is then going to run and you can figure out do you have logic errors or something. Right. Exactly. And over time, the linters got smart or the compilers got smarter and they could tell you, you know, error on this line or those kinds of things. And so linters turned into being more about um, being able to do static analysis of your code and for um, to recommend good practices to, to in order to enforce good practices in your code. And also a lot of people use them and a lot of companies use them to enforce like coding style guides. Right. Um, so I found this list of like, what are some popular uh, linters that are out there? And I was a little surprised by, by the size of the list. I've got um, Ansible, C, C++, Coffee, Script, CSS, Dart, Docker files, uh, EPUB, Erlang, Go, GraphQL, Haskell, JavaScript, Markdown, NPM, Objective-C, Perl, PHP, uh, yeah, Python, Ruby, mm -hmm. SAS, 
That's one that I, yeah. I use that one too. Um, TypeScript. Yeah, CSS Comb was one that we used to that yeah. I used to use with Stefan. We don't actually it's deprecated, so we don't use it anymore. But yep, the, absolutely. The thing with the T with the TS Lint and the ES Lint one that uh, I know is where you and I spend most of our time in the JavaScript TypeScript right. world, and that one was interesting because like there was we had one for TS Lint, and when the TypeScript team decided that this doesn't make sense because TypeScript isn't about, the TypeScript team wasn't about creating a new language. They were about creating right. a superset of JavaScript right? and adding syntactic sugar. And so they decided, no, it doesn't really make sense. Instead, what we should do is we really should focus on making e, an ES lint linter. That's where our investment should be in terms of a linter for JavaScript or, or ECMAScript. Um, focus on that and have rules that are for TypeScript, but it all is runs through ES through the ESLint tool. Right. And yes. The, and so the team that was doing TSLint, a company from I think a company was named Planter, mm-hmm. um, they saw the same thing and they're like, "Yeah, it makes sense." So instead of us working on our own tool we're going to just jump over the TypeScript guys. And so they switched over too. And basically the whole world kind of said that the JavaScript world said, okay, ESLint is the tool that we should be using for doing linting. We shouldn't be doing TSLint in the context just of TypeScript. So this is not a replacement for everybody else, but it's just in the context of- uh, Right, they just essentially broadened the scope. And I think what then that helps with is if you use a particular framework version or whatever, there's a lot of times linting rules for that particular framework, which can mm-hmm. then also help you, especially when you're talking about a corporate or, or a corporate or a company-wide style guide, coding style guide, mm-hmm. um, that can absolutely make some consistency. Yeah. So, so what kinds of things do pe- are people going to see when they do this? Like when they, what, what kinds of rules do you see with the linter? In well, it's, so there's the things that are like, definitely where you can get yourself into trouble. Like the things are uh, allowed in both ways, but almost always you want to use one versus the other. And so there's Mm -hmm. the kind of like, are you sure you want to do this kind of rules? Equal, not equal is one of the ones that pops into my mind really quickly. Like the, you know, the (laughs) the (laughs) notorious equal, equal, equal means it's completely equal where equal, equal means it's sort of equal. Yeah. Whereas equal is assignment, you know, that kind of idea. Um, yep. And then there's stylistic things like I know um, in the PMP JS library, we have ES linting rules and some of them, I might want to have some arguments with Patrick Rogers about some of them. Like every file has to have one empty line at the bottom. And I'm like, oh, yeah. why are okay, we yeah. doing that? I yeah. don't know why we're doing that. That's <laughs> but we do. One. And I, it is a common one, but I don't understand the benefit of it. So maybe maybe I just need to do some more Google research on that one. But, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, well, I'm just like, it's annoying because I'll break the lint rule because I forgot to put a return at the end of my file. You know? it's, yeah, and it's a fuzzy, like there's the rules today because, they're, because the compilers are so, are, are so much better than they were years ago um, that it, the rules today, like I think the line is very blurry. Mm. on what is a rule that is debatable and opinionated right. versus what is a rule that is like good guidance. So like, for example, there are some rules that will say that you shouldn't ever do, you, if you're going to use promises, you should always have a catch on your promise. You shouldn't just do a promise and then have a then and just say, Hey, I use the promise just to be able to right. Right, do something right, right. asynchronously. It's like, no, mm-hmm. no, you, 
you should always have a catch there to handle that other exception. And then, then there's the argument of, well, to satisfy the rule that message that you're going to get or the hit on that is just create a catch and don't do anything in it. It's like, right. um, that's not really the point. The point. Right. Um, right. But you, you can get away with it. There are other ones though, that, and these are the ones that I like to me, they get under my skin is when the language supports something. So like in that case, right. The language support, I'm, I'm almost going to like refute what I just said. <laughs> The I'm actually going to refute what I just said, but this is the part where it's kind of like, you know, what is um, the justice on the U.S. Supreme Court said years ago? It was like, what is pornography? It's like, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like one of those things to me. Like it is when I look at a uh, when I like the, the one that I just gave about is called no floating promises um, where you don't have a catch. That's a to me, that's a good rule. And the one that we should all we should all pretty much abide by, because, I mean, you should handle your. If you're going to do a try statement, you don't do a try statement to keep the compiler from breaking. You're doing a try statement and you should finish it off with, you know, the rule of, of what should happen in the exception. Yeah. But then you've got other ones where it's like, hey, I don't have to put and TypeScript and JavaScript support the fact that if I don't put an accessor on a member, it's assumed to be public. Right. And then it's like, well, no, you should always put a public there because maybe it's not explicitly known. It's like just that's the language characters I have to type. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that's the that's more mental math that I got to do. Or the one the one that I feel is a great example is when you can have a um, a parameter uh, on like a, a a parameter on a oh, yes. on an argument. Yes. So like when I, I do a constructor, I can use constructor and then open paren. I can say private argument is a string, mm -hmm. yep. and that's all I have to do. And what that does internally is come is TypeScript says, oh, I'm going to create a private member called whatever the name of the argument is. Yeah. And then I'm going to take the, the parameter you're passing into the constructor. I'm going to assign it to the value of that private instance so we can look at it. And so to me, you saved yourself from writing two extra lines of code, but it's also really succinct and going, I know exactly what that's doing. I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's, but the message you get back from the linter is mm, not everybody may understand this may be confusing for new people. So you shouldn't use this. And I'm like, I crawl bullshit on that because it just yeah. depends on the organization. Like I can see if you are a very large organization that builds commercial software, let's say, as an example, yeah. <clears throat> and you have various levels of development expertise. You have new people right out of school. You have, you know, very senior people and, you know, architect level, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to have different levels of knowledge about something. I could mm -hmm. see that an organization like that making decisions that for some senior developers, they'd be like, oh, really? But because you potentially have this very large group of more junior developers, you want to keep things very consistent and very understandable. And so some of those rules, so the ability to create those rules makes a ton of sense. When you are one or two developers building software for some specific project or whatever, or, you know, internal project or something else, some of those rules are so ridiculous. I like consistency. Don't get me wrong. I'm actually a little bit kind of OCD about my consistency. Like I will go back and I'm actually of... I am of the mind that I like all my private variables, probably because I wrote C-sharp first. I like all my private variables to have the underscore. I actually I, like that. I'm one of the few. I get it. But I will go back and make sure they're all done that way. And, yeah. and it's because for me, when I'm quickly scanning code, I know, oh, hey, I okay, this is that. You know what I mean? Like it just, 
works with me, but I'm a coder of one. So I get to choose my own rules. <laughs> you I don't know, know what, what I mean? you mean. Yeah. I don't know what you mean by OCD, but let me just fix this part. This <laughs> <is> <laughs> so, um, so it, uh, yeah, we got that. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. And I, I think what I'm, what, you know, so cards on the table. One of the reasons we're talking about this is because in the world that you and I live in, we talked about in all of our intros is we live in the SharePoint framework world quite a bit. And, and yep. the last week or two, they've released a new version where they, of the, of the SharePoint framework where they switched or they went from uh, on SharePoint framework 1.14 to 1.15. And in doing so, they, they finally dropped TS Lint and they replaced it with ES Lint. But when they did that, they took the advantage of saying, well, let's go through and let's add in a whole bunch of rules. And maybe they were already there as part yep. of the argument. Maybe they were already there and they weren't working, which is yep. another part of the argument they have. But the thing that, that I mean, for me, that, that kind of irritated me was that there's a lot of opinionated ones that they're enforcing on us about coding styles. Right. And I think this it, this does open up a, a pretty good debate that, that, you, we, that you could have and find out where people like what side of the, of the aisle you fall on. Um, whereas what is somebody like, what is their role in that sense of, of coming up with those rules? So I'm like, I'm curious to know that uh, there, to me, there's like, there's two or three different swim lanes you can fall into or two different buckets you can fall into at this. One of them is in the case of the SharePoint framework, they've gone through and they've built a tool where you where that creates new projects just for the SharePoint framework. So it'd be like getting Visual Studio or getting like VS Code, but it's something that's creating brand new. You're only using it for this one for this one target environment or target framework. And they're defining a bunch of rules. Another scenario is using ESLint and linting rules for like a company project. A good example is what you're doing with with uh with PMPJS. Mm-hmm. I wonder I like I've got my opinion on it, but I thought I'd Ladies first. I'd let you go through unless you want me to unless you want me to no, say no, something okay. so you can refute everything I say. Well, uh, I might do that anyway. No. But no, that's fine. I am big boy. But um I cry afterwards. I just have to make it for another it's 20 okay. minutes and I cry it's later. Okay. Um but I think that we I, I'd be curious to know like where you fall on the whole, what do you think? Where where would you use it? Where would you not use it? Like just in, I, first question then ask you and put you on the spot. Do mm-hmm. you like linting in your projects or not? Generally. I Yes, very minorly, like because I have a set of consistent things that I like to do, uh, linting can help me just make sure that I've met my own criteria, right? Mm -hmm. That I've made my code as clean as I want to by enforcing the rules that I like. But I'm also a developer of one, right? So it's going to be the things that the stylistic things and the things that I maybe make notice that I make mistakes on that I would like to just make sure I have a little extra set of, you know, rules sitting there underneath. That's just going to keep me, keep me honest, keep everything clean by getting lazy. If it's the end of the day, it's if like, creating, my, like creating the employee handbook when you just are a company of one. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. It, yeah I'm, I'm hesitating because the, when Mark Anderson and I first started working together, he sent me the uh, a joke employee onboarding email letter so mm-hmm. i'm just that flashing back to that where he's like hr <laughs> would like to tell you you know it's just him and i but he sends me this like onboarding letter on my first day i was like you dork god yeah. i love you um but yeah so it's just a set of like you know a little bit of rules now 
if like say Sympraxis, which from a development perspective is Mark a little bit, but Derek and I, um, you know, like early on when Derek was writing more code with me, I would have loved to enforce the try catch rule so that he couldn't write a method without try catching it. Cause yeah. I was just being bitchy about it. Like reviewing his code going, um, I'm seeing 35 methods that have no try catch in there. Please yeah. go back and fix that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, but you know, so from a stylistic point of view, I could see a group of developers coming together and saying, hey, again, similar to me wanting to have my own little guardrails on certain things, great. What I don't like, what I'm really against, is if it just doesn't matter. So like type uh, assignments, for instance, whether you do as type or type, you know, with the brackets around it before the type, you know, for the variable, what the frick difference does it make? It just doesn't make any difference. The transpiler likes both of them. I don't understand why anyone needs to say you must do it this way or that way. Sometimes it's about code readability. If you've got a fairly long line, having to do the as whatever with spaces in between it, that readability is really tough. Whereas if you have the brackets, it just pops out at you like, oh, we're doing type reassignment here. And it pops. So I actually kind of lean towards that method, but I've done it both ways because maybe I'm at the end of like an object that I'm creating. And now it makes much more sense to put as the type sort of at the bottom of the line, just because stylistically it's easier to read. And I'm going to maybe switch back and forth between those two methods, depending on what. Surrey just answered me. (laughs) That's what that jump was about. Surrey's like, what? What do you That's want? Okay. Between my Apple, between my Apple Watch doing the same thing, and I've got a yeah. uh, A L E X A on my desk right now. <laughs> right, right, right. I, say I don't want her talking to me right now. So yes, I should have muted. I will note. So now I have a check mark. Mistakes no, I, made in version five. The pod, when, man, you could hear like when CJ and I were doing our podcast. There was always every once in a while you'd hear a Amazon A L E X A. We're just trying to like. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Like, shut up. <laughs> It startled the heck out of me. It's never happened. Anyway, yeah. so that's that's sort of my viewpoint on it. Like rules that stylistically keep you consistent because there's a point in being consistent or, you know, because you want to maintain some consistency and or things like the equal, not equal one. I take out because I I do a lot of testing like object equal, equal null, which means mm-hmm. is either null or undefined. And I don't really care which. And mm-hmm. I do that quite a bit. And is it technically right? It's fine. It works. It's, a, you know, and I don't want to have to go and ignore, put a lint rule in every single time I do that. I'm careful mm-hmm. enough with my triple equals that I feel comfortable not having that rule. But mm-hmm. I could see if I had a bunch of junior developers, I would maybe want to be like, mm, maybe you need to very explicitly say you're going to do this, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and I think the other thing too, the the type declaration one or the type definition one, I thought that that's a really, uh, that's a really good one um, because I could be in the exact same file or in the exact same method and I could use it both ways. Like the argument that they say is that if you're, if you're using, if you're in a react project, you shouldn't use the one where you put, you use the angle brackets at the beginning yeah. of the object because yeah. that's, that's that's it's a, JSX um, that's, or TSX, that's JSX, depending on yeah, JSX yeah, right. or TSX. 
And yeah, and if you're so doing a web component, you theoretically be, could be type asserting something that's a web component. So yeah, yeah. no, that's yeah, legit. Yeah. And so I, I see that being a confusion, but then I also see like if I'm in the middle of a method and I'm trying to pass in a number as a string or vice versa or a Boolean as a string, and I want to say like variable as string, I don't want to do like bracket Boolean. You, one of them is like what you're saying. When I look at the code, the, the your code should be... I'm not pulling the card out that, you know, I don't need to document my code. My code documents itself it, or it's, it's, it's clear on what it actually does, but there's a, well, there's a bit of that, right. That I don't feel like I need to put, I don't need to have a certain number of comments in my code. If I look at it, I can understand. I'm like, I'm good. Like I was looking at one of my students, he was having trouble with something and he shared a method. It was only four lines and I'm looking at it and I'm just staring at it, like, how, what the hell are you trying to do here? And I couldn't figure out what he was trying to do because it, the code was written in a way. There's another reason why I say that, but why it was confusing, but I'm looking at it, like you, you should write it in a way that's actually pretty intuitive to someone. Yep. So yep. to me, the thing that was, that where it falls down the, the thing, my line in the sand of where things go is that I look at it as really as three different things. So I look at it like in your case. So let's use it. If you're like a corporate developer or you're working on, a, you have a team that's working on a project. Right. I think rules and potent, if you have multiple people working on a project, I think ES rules going as far as you want to go is perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, PMPJS, there are two of you that are working on that project. And well, it's an open and source community, right. Community it, contributors too, which is probably the more important reason. But it, yes. Exactly. And it's an open source project. And so that open source project, you want the, the rules that pe the, the PRs that people submit, you want them to follow the same convention that you follow because you don't want to sit there. I, we do the same thing in the docs uh, uh, for the SharePoint, the SharePoint developer docs that I help maintain. 100%. Yeah, they've got um, MS, they've got markdown rules, linter that they use, and say so you make sure you do this, don't do this, don't put multiple break lines in here, multiple empty right. lines in this whole thing. Um, I get it. I understand you want things to be consistent, but that is keeping consistency within the project. The one that I, the thing that I, uh, the one that I really don't like is when a vendor, like what the SharePoint Framework team did, when they start going in and putting in rules, and from yeah. their own words, they said, if we think that we can do something to, to improve or promote better coding practices, then we think that we should do it. Mike, mm, yeah. hold on a second now. I get that there's some that you want to put in there, and some of them, not very debatable, not very, in terms of like, everyone's going to agree on this, or eight out of 10 people are going to agree on it. So I'll let that one, I'll let that one go. But when you start telling me on how I should be on, on how I should be doing developing my projects, I may work for a large Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company, and we have our own coding styles. Who's to say that my coding styles, our coding styles, match what yours are? Who's to say that I'm a Fortune 500 that we're a bunch of developers that we aren't like IT or or development is not a core uh, discipline at our organization? We're not a tech company. We're um, we sell sod, right? <laughs> right. And we have yes. a little app that we wrote to do this. I don't feel like I, you. Know, my rules, my coding styles are going to be different than if I worked at Google or Microsoft or, right. or Netflix. And I don't think that a company like Microsoft as a vendor should be imposing those rules on my projects because now as somebody, as a developer, so this is firsthand, as somebody, as an, I'm using myself as an example, as somebody who writes TypeScript for everything, I use it for I use it for server side, I use it for client side, I use it for SharePoint framework projects, I use it for React projects that aren't SharePoint framework, I use it for um, Teams projects that aren't SharePoint framework. 
I have a style that I like to follow. And right. when it's only my stuff that I'm going to follow for all of my stuff. Yep. But now when I create a new, a new SharePoint framework project, someone in Microsoft who doesn't write production code, yep. right. Or who doesn't write like client facing code. And they just write a tool to help me build my, to write projects. They now have come up. Someone arbitrarily decided that I should have the word public in front of all my constructors. Yep. I'm like, that's not necessary. Or now I can no longer use the private accessor on my on an argument in a constructor declaration. I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is yeah. not, I think that to me that's overbearing and that's them overstepping their bounds. And frankly, if you want to go to the logical, like to the real thing, I got like when they say like, oh, if we can be doing something better to make our code better, then we feel like we should do that. I'm like, oh, well, then let's make sure that everyone has full testing and you have code coverage being 100% on all of your projects. Is that too far? Mm. I would say yes, but that's a different show. <laughs> um, but but yeah. I guess the my point is, who's who's respon- is that their responsibility? And in my argument is no. It's not their responsibility to I, define those rules as I the think, vendor for giving me a tool to build new projects. Right. As a framework provider, in this case, as them playing the role of a framework provider where they expect organizations and individuals that cross the world as far as, you know, what their roles are, what their, you know, organizations are structured like, whether they're selling a product, creating an internal product, messing around because it's their Saturday hobby, whatever that is, to provide a set of rules and say everybody has to abide by these rules. I kind of, I agree that I don't want that enforced on me i want that to be maybe a side thing an optional thing but i think the thing that even if it's forced on you right like even if you don't have an option when structuring your project then i at the very 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 least want all of those rules to be at the top level i think the thing that i dislike about the implementation most is that they're extending rule sets that exist in other projects. So you end up with two, three or four, depending on what project framework you pick, you end up with three or four dependencies on other projects that have lint rules defined in it. That's just a JSON string of key value pairs, essentially. I I want that up at that top level. Like if you're going to create me the ESLint file, for my configuration, then put every single one of the rules that you want to define in that in that file so that I can very quickly see what all the rules are, make decisions. I think that's a good educational thing. Like if the point is that we're trying to in, 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 uh, develop people with better coding practices, then bring it front and center. Don't hide it. Don't hide it behind buried node modules that you're you're bringing into your project. And I, that's the part that kind of gets me the most. So yeah. I agree with you. I'd rather maybe say, hey, I'm going to have my own set of rules. But now I'm doing this either deleting those, you know, I'm deleting a bunch of dependencies and then restructuring the file. That's like a lot more steps that I got to go to to get my own you know, version of the rules versus mm-hmm. if you say no dependencies because you don't need any and you're just going to, in the project structure, define an ESLint config file with all of the rules spelled out that you are enforcing and make it 
super quick for people to go override that copy paste or replace the file entirely with one that you've got centrally located or, you know, or just have a, a maybe, maybe you have a corporate uh, dependency that you're supposed to take that includes those files. Like, why not that? You know what I'm that, saying? Yes. That's the one. And that's the part that I guess that, that I think that that's what irritates me about it is I just, I feel that I feel like in this case here, that it's a great example of someone not really understanding how this, how this works in the real world and how companies, developers, organizations, product of ISVs, mm-hmm. um, and just consumers of the project, how this stuff is supposed to work. I, I gave a good, I gave an example to somebody and I thought that this is, this really sums up like my, my two cents on the whole thing is that, uh, so when you have unit testing or automated testing, you can have something in there that does code coverage. And if you're, if you, if it will check things like functions, branches, statements, all that kind of stuff, and make sure that your code coverage is on a scale of one to 100 in terms of a percentage of how much of your code is actually covered by automated yep. tests. And you can set a rule in your testing to say that if your code coverage falls below these thresholds, then that's considered a, a red build. Someone yep. broke the bill. Even if it works, it's still a red bill because you haven't put as much stuff in there. Yeah. So from Microsoft's point of view, do they want to go through and put testing inside of a default project? Cool. But they should not be putting any code coverage rules or any kind of numbers inside of it. Maybe they can comment that section out, but they should put nothing in there. When it comes to uh, like a utility that I have that 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 updates a project to add that kind of testing in it, I deliberately do not put in the code coverage rules in there. I put in code coverage stuff in there to give you stats, but I don't specify what the thresholds are for a green or a red build. Right. But if I was if I if I was running a project like PMPJS, I would have something like that in there, code coverage in there, because I want to make sure that someone is not submitting a big PR and has yep. put no tests in there and they've dropped the level of our 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 coverage down because that means they're they're submitting code that is not this is not covered compared to the rest yep. of it by tests which if we said that as a rule, then we should enforce that. And so that's the part to me, like I thought that, I think that those things kind of show that you can do it, but you can do it in a way that doesn't feel like it's a big deal that or that's right. going to feel so overbearing. These right. poor souls that go to use the SharePoint framework and yeah. upgrade their project from 1.14 to 1.15. And now they're met with, literally, I heard this today, one guy's got 555 warnings. Another guy's yeah. got 20 some odd errors and 970 warnings. And they look at it and go, is this a big deal? I'm like, does it still work? And like, yeah, it still works. I'm like, then you can turn off ESLint if you want and just keep going on with your project. Is that a good idea? I'm like, that's up to you. But it's very intimidating. I think it's that's very the problem. Like as a first run experience, like, so for you and a me that's used to using this stuff, you know, we like see that stuff and be like, Jesus, all right, fine. Let me go figure out which ones to shut down. And, you know, you, you can work your way through it. I think for other people, they see that and they're like, I don't even know where to start. Ah, mm-hmm. ah, and I'm just going back to where I was, <laughs> you know? And yeah. I think that ends up being a, a, a little too intimidating is what I would fear. You know, I, I could not agree more. And I, I like, I'm, I'd be curious, I, I you know, look, so, we talked a little bit about the SharePoint framework stuff. And I think that if you are a SharePoint framework developer, there's a few resources that we do want to provide you. Um, I've posted a couple of things. I'll post a couple of things yeah. in the description for it. We've got, I did a blog post and a video about it. So if you want to see yeah. like, what's the experience like and what, and how do you go through and address the fixes in your project for the common things that would show up? 
I gave you my two cents on that. It's an opinion. That's a great resource. Yeah, but it's um, a great resource to just get started. If you feel if you you're if this is happening to you, try yeah. one of the resources that are going to be there. Yes, that'll be down. <laughs> yeah, the notes below. And then the other yes. one is that uh, Microsoft has said that they're interested in feedback um, on this. Now they've made this change. Mm-hmm. And yep. there is a discussion item on their issue list for the SharePoint framework. Yeah, we'll include uh, that, that in the show that notes. That people too, right? can go jump in and yeah. give them their, their two cents on it. So if you want to have an impact on what on the decisions they've made or decisions they make going forward, um, yeah. you gotta give them you gotta feedback. be vocal. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you it's like, you know, if you don't give your representatives the feedback, you don't get the government you want. Well, it's the same thing here. So gotta vote. Gotta vote. That's as far as political we're going to go. Yeah, that's yes, we're done. That that's yeah. it. <laughs> so, hey, I know you know Julie. This is the. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to say on this? Or no, I, know I think I think we really hit all the highlights. So, so well, one thing I do want to say is that I mean, this is the first or this is the last episode of like a batch dump that we're doing with all these right. episodes. So we're this is the if you're if you get to this point, uh, you have probably seen. Uh, that we released five episodes all at once. Remember, we did say that we're going to do about one a month or so. At least that's the right. cadence we're going to start with. So uh, if you look at this going, man, there's like five of them. They just announced this. They got five right there. I mean, I can't wait till the next episode. Like, hold your horses. We yes. didn't want to just release like one episode and have you wait for 30 days for stuff. So we wanted that to give you- ridiculous. Yeah, we wanted to do show intro. So what is the mm-hmm. show? And introducing you, introducing me, uh, so people could know who we were. Yep. And then two meat and potato episodes. Last episode, episode four was all about rest and the SDKs. And episode yep. five, this one is all about linting. Um, we will be coming back. We will doing, be doing more episodes. But again, we just wanted yep. to set the expectations on where things would be and where we're, uh, where yeah, we're going. And please stuff. provide feedback if you have ideas for things you'd like us to cover. Certainly put them in the comments of this episode or any of the episodes. And we will be sure to see it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and with... With that, with that. Uh, I want to say, hey, what did you think about the episode, right? So let us know by dropping a comment below or submit a topic to discuss uh, on future Cloud Dev Clarity episodes. And if you like this video, you like this episode, please give us a, give us, give us a thumbs up and <laughs> smash up. that big red subscribe button uh, before <laughs> below the video that so that we'll see or you'll see when we publish new videos and new episodes on Microsoft 365 and Microsoft Azure and related topics for developers. Thanks a lot. We'll see you in the next video.